Awesome. Good morning, church family. Excited to be with you guys this morning. I hope that this series in Psalms has been, uh, man, just meaningful and impactful for you as much as I've gleaned from it as well. Um, thinking through Psalm 90 and Pastor Caleb that, this week or last week, uh, I've had just that thought of teaching God, teaching me to number my days, just rolling around in my head. And man, just been a really helpful thing to continue to lean on. And I'm excited to open up God's word in Psalm 46 with you this morning. Psalm 46, if you wanna turn there, click there, um, get there however you uh, need to. I wanted to say thank you to those of you who are praying for student summer camp uh, two weeks ago now. Man, just an incredible time. We saw God move in a lot of ways. Saw students um, lay down their, their sin, their struggles to the Lord and saw him forgive those things. Saw students repent and let go of some stuff that they needed to. We saw students who said, God, I feel like you're calling me to, to ministry in the future, whatever that looks like, and I wanna run after that and pursue it. And, and so much of that, I think, leads from or comes from not just the people that were running the camp, not just me and Callie and the leaders who, who go, but really go, comes from we as a church body just praying and lifting up these students to the Lord. And so thank you for those that grabbed wristbands or that were lifting us up as we got there, as we came back. Um, thank you, that stuff matters. And we're excited to walk through life with these students, not just on one week, but every week, following God and, and making disciples uh, of of him. Uh, I know that some of you were praying for me, not just for that week, but also because the week after we thought it was a great idea to take Aubrey to the beach the next day. And so the Lord has taught me a lot of things and he has used the vehicle of an eight month old at the beach to, to do it. So the Lord is continuing to work in me uh, in the midst of that as, as well. Man, sweet times, precious memories, um, but the Lord continuing my sanctification process uh, there as well. Uh, so to Psalm 46, Psalm 46 has a special place in my walk with Jesus. Uh, it's a psalm that I turn to during a season of life and during some circumstances where I felt like God was far away. And, and so maybe you've experienced that before or maybe you're experiencing that right now. Like you're sitting in your seat, but you feel like God is a hundred miles in the other direction. That was the case for me in the summer of 2010. I had just finished my junior year at Apex High School. This was the old building, not the new building. So if you've gone in the last couple of years, it did not look like that. And there was a lot more uh, insects and things going on there. Um, but summer of 2010, I, the summer of 2009, I had had the man incredible opportunity through Apex Baptist to go on a mission trip to Haiti with Chuck Thompson led it. Uh, maybe even some of you in the room sitting here went on that trip and, and God radically changed my view of the world and of me and of him uh, on this trip. We went with new missions. We were in Laogon, Haiti, and uh, I just I came back holding two things in my hand. One was, man, just the, the object poverty and hopelessness that we saw so prevalent there, but also the beauty of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus that was permeating uh, those from organizations and churches and pastors watching Jesus establish his kingdom there. And so I came back and I was like, man, I, I need to look at my life differently. I, God has given me a responsibility. He's given me the gift of the gospel and my life needs to look changed. And so that was 2009, 2010 is where we'll pick up on August 14th, 2010, summer after my junior year, a, a devastating earthquake hit Haiti. Maybe some of you remember this, seeing it on TV or pictures. Um, that earthquake would kill over a quarter of a million people. 
and displace 1.5 million. These people with already so little, now picking up what little they had from the rubble uh, of where their lives were at the moment. And to be honest, I was a little confused. I was a little angry and I was a little frustrated um, to, to have gone and experienced this, to see all that God was doing and how he was on the move and to see this devastation. And I remember, uh, I don't have the text anymore, that phone is long gone, but I remember texting my friend David and he was uh, also finishing his junior year at Apex High. And I remember texting him and I said something along these lines to him. Again, don't have the text messages, but I'm paraphrasing. I remember saying something along the lines of, I don't understand, what is God doing? Man, out of everywhere that this could happen, Haiti, why? Where is God in, in all of this? And I'm thankful for a friend who allows the Holy Spirit to speak in him and through his fingers. Because here's what he said, so again, something along these lines. He said something like, Tyler, God is right there with them. He hasn't gone anywhere. Tyler, God hears those cries and he hears those prayers of his people and, we will, and he will see these people through and use this tragedy. No one else could do this, but God could use this tragedy even for good. And then he quoted Romans 8, 28, which we all know for God will do all things. Uh, even in the midst of bad things, God can turn all of those things for good according to his purpose. And it's, man, that's a verse I've memorized. That's a verse I probably had written up on my wall somewhere. But in the midst of suffering and trial and hurt, it is hard to remember that God can be a, refu a refuge even in those seasons. That God could hear those cries. And, and so afterwards, I began to kind of wrestle with God and say, hey, what are you doing, God? I'm, I'm willing to, to work with you and see, God, what you're trying to do here. What was cool is about a year later, uh, Lecrae, a Christian artist, would, he'd write a song for actually Haiti Relief. All the proceeds went to um, Boots on the Ground there. And his song was called Far Away, the very thing I felt like God was being from me. And in that song, at the end of the song, he, he quotes Psalm 46. And so I began to turn there and to look at it. And Psalm 46 has been a place of refuge and strength for me, not because of the words, but because of who it is speaking about. And, and what I came to realize is this Psalm has been that for so many believers over the course of centuries. Even Martin Luther, the great reformer, when he was wrestling with what God was trying to do in the church at the time and making sure that we were teaching truth, he would end up pinning a hymn that is based on this very psalm, a mighty fortress is our God. I used to sing that in the choir room right behind this LED wall um, in BSF not that long ago and sing about how God would be a bulwark, which we don't use that word anymore, never failing and how he is our stronghold. And so these words have some incredible truths that are so important for us for wherever we're at today. So maybe you're sitting in here and you've got a friend or a coworker that you are walking alongside with during a heavy season. Maybe life is good. You just got back in from North Myrtle and you've walked through things and God has been your refuge and now you're in a good season. We recognize that that is not always the case and we need to know where our place of refuge and our strength lies. Or maybe you're sitting in here today and you are right smack dab in the midst of chaos. You would say, God, I, you feel far from me in this moment. These truths extend comfort, hope, and security even for the days when our world seems to be coming apart at the seams. And so for all of us today, let's not miss not just my words, but the words of a God who is loving and is true and is just and is holy and desires to be there for you this morning. Let's not miss those. Would you stand as I, I read those for us? It's gonna be Psalm 46, 
1 through 11. This is God's word, and it's true, and it's for us uh, in this moment. Verse 1, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You may be seated. It's a powerful ch chapter of the Bible, a, a chapter that some have had to cling to. I think you could honestly preach a sermon just on verse one. It's beautiful. Um, but today we're gonna spend some time looking at three ways that we can secure ourselves to the right anchor of our lives. We recognize there are so many storms that come and go in this life. And it is paramount that we learn how to secure ourselves to the anchor that will not be moved in the midst of these storms. And we find that in Jesus, Emmanuel, God is with us. So if, a, if you're a note taker, you can write this down. This is point one, secure yourself to the person of Jesus. Secure yourself to the person of Jesus. Again, what a promise in verses one through three that we have a God who is a refuge and a strength for us. And though the entire world may feel like it is falling apart, we don't have to fear for he is with us. A very present help, not just in good times, but in days of trouble. Let's unpack that term refuge just really quickly. Refuge would be our hiding place, our spot where nothing can touch us, where we're protected, where the enemy cannot get to us, where we feel like darkness cannot creep into. And the reality is we all have a place that comes to mind that kind of is our place of refuge. Maybe it's a favorite vacation spot where you can get away and you don't have to think about all the things you have to do when you get back. It's, it's a refuge, it's a safe haven. Maybe that's the home you grew up in, or maybe it's the opposite, but maybe it's that place where you can sit and take a nap and everything's going to be okay. For, for me, we actually had the name The Refuge as the room where our youth group met here at Apex Baptist. It was called The Refuge. And I walked through some things in middle and high school where uh, just I was trying to, to figure out who God was calling me to be and trying to understand and felt alone or, or struggled. And there were moments where I didn't want to be at my house that didn't necessarily feel like a place of refuge, um, even though it was. And so Chuck Thompson, the youth pastor, would every once in a while walk into the youth room and he would find Tyler Womble in there. And he usually had two questions. One, how did you get in here? Because it was locked. Um, and he didn't know the why, but I, I did. And number two was, why, like, why are you up here? And the, the answer to that question was because church and youth group had become that place for me that was a refuge, that I felt like God was with me, that he cared for me, that I would be okay. Now, the reality is that room is not the refuge anymore. It went to the boom room for boom worship, our kids' ministry. Now it's room 107. And, and that's a good picture of how places, even when they are the greatest refuge, Places are finite. 
Whether it's, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, Helm's Deep, the impenetrable force Rohan went because they knew they couldn't be touched there. Or, where it, or whether it's Jericho, the, the city that felt like it could not be touched, especially by this, this army of Israelites. Even the greatest places of refuge will at some point be touched by the storms of life. And those storms will run through them like a sandcastle in a hurricane. And that's why it's so important that we secure ourselves not just to a place, not to just any old person, but to the person, the God-man, fully God, fully man, who has come for us, died on the cross for us, loved us unconditionally. We want to secure ourselves to the person of Jesus. Why him? Why should we secure ourselves to him? Because he offers us refuge and strength. And not only does he do this from far off in an indirect way, he does it presently, a very present help in troubled times. He doesn't say, Tyler, if you can just take this step, this step, this step, then at some point you'll get to me and then you can find refuge. God doesn't say, well, if you would just take care of this thing or I'll be there for you, just give me a year and then I'll be your refuge. No, God says in the midst of trouble, he is a very present help in the midst of those times. He offers us, he wants to be our refuge. He doesn't go, well, I guess Tyler's going through this again, so I guess I'll begrudgingly be his refuge today. No, he says, Tyler, come, like, come to me. You are, you are heavy laden. You are weary. Come to me and I will give you rest. That is what he offers. That is what our Jesus seeks to give us, a refuge and strength. And the reality is we need it. Maybe not today, but we all need it. There are so many who are walking through heavy things and need this refuge and can find it nowhere else. He will be our refuge even in the hardest times. That's what verses two and three talk about, that when the, a day and age comes, when the earth quakes, when the waters foam and rage and, and mountains are falling into the water, even then God will still be our refuge. Theologians kind of hold these things up to, in two different ways. They look at Genesis one and two of, of God creating the heavens and the earth and splitting the earth and the water and making everything in order and everything with a purpose and everything good. So take that Genesis one and two, then look at verses two and three where the earth is splitting and falling into the sea. In the midst of that, when it feels like God's very creation is coming apart at the seams and you've got nothing to hold onto and nowhere to stand, Christ is still our refuge. He wants to be. He is there and he has the strength and he is that help that can still be that place of security for us. In the midst of all of that, he offers a solid rock, a cornerstone that is immovable and the strength to continue when we are exhausted, hurting and scared. And I'm thankful even just standing up right here, I'm, I'm looking out and I'm thinking about stories where People walk through incredible tragedies in this room that are sitting in here. People have walked through unspeakable things where it would have been so easy to go, God, you are far away and I'm, I'm finding refuge in something else. And I've watched as God has been your refuge and what an incredible testament and truth that this world needs so desperately. I'm thankful for stories like that. I'm thankful that I've got 30 years at Apex Baptist to watch as faithful men and women turn to Jesus as their rock and stood upon him, even in times of incredible storms. Those are truths. That is good news that this world needs. And what better way to show it is in the midst of a, a hurricane of life to go, God, I don't have the answers. God, I don't know what's next. God, I don't know what you're doing, but I know you. And I've secured myself to you, Jesus, because I know you're not going anywhere. You are a very present help in trouble. He has not failed you and he will not 
moving forward. So this morning, where is your refuge? Have you acknowledged that ever-present hope that is with you? To the person that knows you, your coworker, your neighbor, would they say that Jesus is their refuge? Would they know that? Or would they point to comfort or security or others or your job or your family? All incredible things, but that cannot be the only place our refuge lies. Let's turn to Jesus who is understands our suffering, is acquainted with our grief, loved us enough to empty himself, gave his life for you, conquered sin in the grave, and is seated at the right hand of the Father even today, interceding for you, still being your refuge. And we know that one day he will come and establish the new heaven and the new earth, and we'll be able to dwell in security with him forever. That is the refuge that he offers. It's better than anything else. And it's what's talked about in these next few verses. So I'm gonna reread four through seven. No need to stand up, but you can um, follow along with me. This is four through seven. And it's talking about that new heaven and new earth that one day Jesus, when he comes back, will establish to be that permanent refuge and dwelling forever. So let me read it again. Verse four, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the most high. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns, the nations rage. The kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. So this is actually a song uh, in the Old Testament. The Levitical priests would have walked through this and read some of this. And then verse seven and verse 11, the congregation of the time would actually sing this back as a refrain. Verse seven, "The, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. That was a chorus that was sung um, during their worship in the, in the Old Testament. And these verses point to the future when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom. So here's our second point. If we first are gonna secure ourselves to the person of Jesus, we must then also secure our hope to the presence of Jesus. Secure our hope to the presence of Jesus. So listen to the contrast in the first section versus the second. First, we had waters foaming and raging. We had earth splitting and shaking. But then verse four, there is a river which streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation. God is in the midst of her, in the midst of all of this chaos. It will not move. We can dwell there. We can put down roots there. We don't have to worry about it no longer being that place that we can turn to. What Christ is establishing, we can be secure in. Instead of the earth giving way and the mountains quaking, this city Jesus forms with his presence is a place of dwelling. And what better way to think about it as that fresh water of a river running through a city. So many cities really desired to have a river come through because oftentimes they were held at siege by their enemies. The enemies would come at the gates and instead of trying to knock down their walls, they just said, hey, we'll starve you out. We'll wait around it. The enemies would circle and they would wait because they would run out of food and water. Well, what does a a city with a river running through it have? A life source. And that is the perfect illustration of what Jesus offers for one day. He will be our life source. The book of John talks about how Jesus is the living water and that any who would drink from him would never thirst again. We will be satisfied in who he is. As nations rage and political powers rise and fall in all their strength and with all their power, it is the voice of God that commands them all. It is his glory that they all bow down to. So that all creation is subject to him, all humanity is subject to him. It is him who we find refuge, but it is in him that we also find strength. It's how during hard times the Israelites could sing verse seven, God is with us, he is our fortress, our stronghold. 
They found their hope in the presence of God over and over again because they knew that God's voice could change everything. Now, hope is really tricky, and I want to be honest about that and clarify something. I'm sure there are people listening or sitting in here who would be a lot like 2010 Tyler, and they would say, hey, like, I get it. Hope in Jesus. I memorized that verse. It's on my coffee cup. It's on my wall. I'm a good Christian. I know the answer. Hope in Jesus. I want that hope. I'm striving after that hope. I need that hope with where I'm at right now. But if he's my hope, why does God seem distant? Why is my marriage falling apart? Why, why can't I just find that perfect job that, that I know God wants for me to have? Why isn't God showing up when I need him? Why did that have to go this way? What is he doing? While God is that true hope and we need to secure our hope to his presence, those questions remain. And I want to encourage you if those questions are running through your head right now, or maybe they have this week, maybe they have this year, those questions are biblical. Let me read for you Psalm 13, one and two, because this passage sounds a lot like what I just said, some of those questions. This is King David. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Not the one that's like we want on the poster, right? That's not, that's not the one we're buying at Hobby Lobby? I don't think so, yep. How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long my in, will my enemy be exalted over me? So hear me say, if those questions are running through your head, those are not disobedient. Those are not deconstruction. That those, what those are is King David saying, God, I need you and I believe in you and I have secured my hope to your presence. Will you be there for me again? Would your promises ring true again? I know that they will be, but God, I'm hurting and I'm struggling and I need you to show up in my life. How we respond to those questions ourselves and how we respond to those questions from other people who may not have experienced that hope, who have secured their hope to other places, how we respond matters. And I love Eugene Peterson's words here. He's a much wiser pastor than I am. This is what he says. And it doesn't fix things. It's not the perfect answer. You're not gonna leave here um, all cheery just because he has the perfect thing to say, but he points us to the one who does. Here's what he says. We don't get answers to the how long question. God doesn't open his plan book to the curious eyes of impatient sinners. We get something better. The Lord himself, a very present help in trouble. And then he prays, and I'm gonna read some of his prayer right here. He says, God, you know what I really need. Not more information, but more love. Not your timetable, but your presence. Thank you for giving me yourself in Jesus Christ. I confess that I so often find my hope in, God, if you would just give me this one answer, then I'll know and I'll put my hope all the way in. Like I'll, I'll secure myself to you. Just tell me why this is happening this way. Or God, can you just give me this one answer and then I'll know what to take in college or what to pursue in the future. Or God, if you can just fix this one thing, then everything would be fine and I can follow you all the way. And so often I put my hope, not securing it to the presence of Jesus, but securing it to the answers and the things that Jesus does and I miss what I need most. And what I need most is not that answer, though I think it, not him to fix that one thing, although I want it. What I need most is not his answer and his why, but it's him. It can only be found in Jesus. And so today I encourage you to secure your hope to the one who turns raging water into a life-giving river and secures the shifting sand around us. His presence is what we need and it's exactly what he freely offers. Even in the Great Commission, when he says to go and do all of these things to the disciples, what does he say at the end? Behold, I am with you even till the end of the age. Even in the mission that God has given us, he said, I'm with you. You can secure your hope to his 
presence. And we can secure our hope to his word. His word is true and it's not going anywhere. So let me read us this last section one more time. It says, come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So the last point, if you would like to write it down, is secure your significance to the words of Jesus. Secure your significance to the words of Jesus. The power of the word of God that all creation would bow, that all humanity would would drop the knee to him should also mean that we get to be defined not by what others say or what we say about ourselves, but that we need to define who we are and what we are about in the words of God, the true and living words. His power controls nature, it controls humanity and all its endeavors. And how wonderful to know that one day all of the war and the suffering and the hurt and the sickness will be gone. It will be removed when Jesus comes back and returns and establishes his kingdom. I'll be honest, there's a lot of times where there's global things happening or political things happening and I'm like, man, this is so over my head. There's nothing I can do about this. God, I need you to show up. And I'm thankful that in those moments where things are over my head, my head, they are still in God's hands. And so I want to make sure that I am interceding when I see injustice or struggle or war or famine or hurting, that I'm going to the one whose very word shatters those things. The speaker shifts in verse 10 and we begin to hear God's word from himself when he says, be still and know. And what a beautiful command. It's not try harder. It's not buckle down and be more obedient. It's not wipe your tear-filled eyes and get over your problems. It's not prove your love to me. When he says, be still and know that I am God, in the frenzied pace, in our battles to find purpose, to make something of ourselves, where we try to fix it and usually make it worse, God says, be still and know. Acknowledge me. Secure yourself to me in my words, which are true, and know that I am God. I'm Yahweh. I am who I am, and I will be exalted. The God of the universe wants our presence, and he allows us to seek refuge in him. We can find security there. Being still and knowing God often doesn't happen all the time. And I think a lot of times it's because we jump straight to verse 10 and we miss verse eight. We miss verse eight. Verse eight said, come, I'm turning back there right now. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought all of these things upon the earth. And so often we're not gonna be still because we're not remembering all that God has done. Not remembering how he showed up in a hard season in my life. Not remembering what he did in the Old Testament time and time again. We're not still because we don't trust or we forget all that he has done and that he will do it again and again and again because he is faithful. So if you're struggling with being still and trusting God and and slowing down and asking him to move, maybe it's time to sit down and jot down, hey, this is how God has moved in the last year. This is how he saved me all of those years ago or not that long ago. This is how he's shown up for me in the past and how he's showing up for me right now. Maybe you need to go spend some time in the Old Testament and see how time and time again, the Israelites messed it all up and yet God was faithful and he provided and he rescued them. The reality is that in his voice, he said, it is finished. There's power in his words. And so if you're struggling with those things, don't just start with being still and knowing God, that's important, but also come and see, come and hear, be reminded of all that he has done. And that way, we know that there's nowhere else we can find our significance, no other voice we should listen to than the words of Jesus. But it begs the question, what voice or voices 
is your significance secured to today? Is it your own voice, your inner voice telling you you're not enough or you are enough or you're the bee's knees? Is it the voice of others, the the voice of those maybe you hold in high regard, the voices that you feel like you need to prove yourself to? The reality is any voice that isn't pointing you to the good shepherd who knows his sheep, whose voice we need to turn to first, any other voices around us, we like to turn them down, but we kind of like the sound of them, right? Especially when they are giving us significance, especially when they're telling us we're doing something right or we're succeeding or look at us. But if there's any voices out there that you've turned down that are taking you away from finding your significance in the voice of God, maybe it's time to put them on mute for a while, not just turning them down or turning them up when we like what they hear. Let's turn to Jesus as the true voice to hear where our significance lies. Much has been said about how the church is the busiest it's ever been. Dallas Willard's talked about this. John Mark Comer, Pastor Caleb, Pastor Zeb have preached on how we need to slow down and Sabbath and trust God and spend time with him. That's what he wants, not all of this stuff. But the reality is we have more tools. We have access to God's word. We have access to the world that is lost in his mission. And sadly, we spend far less time on the things that matter because at our core, we struggle with believing God will actually take care of us and will actually deliver on his promises. We question it. We know that it's true. We know that the Bible says it, but we, we question, God, are you really gonna show up in this moment? I need you to. I've secured myself to you. you. I need you to be my refuge here. And I think that's why twice in this passage, and this is where I close, twice in this passage, God is referred to as the God of Jacob. The God of Jacob here. Jacob, if you're familiar in Genesis, his name would later be changed to Israel. He would be the dad of the people of Israel, the Israelites, God's chosen people. But Jacob spent his whole life wrestling with God, deceiving others, fighting for a blessing that God had already promised to Jacob before he was ever born. Before Jacob was born, God promised Rebekah and said, hey, your son is going to have my blessing. He will be a father of a very important nation to me. He will be my people. But Instead of believing that and trusting and being still and knowing that he's God, what does Jacob do his whole life? I'll give you a little bit. You should read it yourself. It's in Genesis, great spot to hang out this week. But he came out grabbing his twin's heel out of the womb. He stole his birthright. He tricked his parents. He tricked his uncle. He lied. He hid stuff. And then when he finally got all that he had not deserved, but that God had given him, he ended up hiding behind it all so that his brother Esau wouldn't take him out. And all Esau wanted to do was love him and say, hey, God has given you this blessing. But Jacob didn't trust God to give him the promise that he had already shown him before. Jacob wrestled and wrestled. He ends up wrestling with God even in this moment afterwards. He wrestles with God and God wounds him. And then Jesus, or not Jesus, Jacob demands this blessing. He says, God, would you bless me? And God gives this blessing that he has promised from before this guy was ever born. So when I think of that, that puts be still and know that I'm God in a different light. If Jacob had just stilled himself, God's promise would have been fulfilled. But instead, Jacob spends his whole life trying to wrestle from God his promise that God has already given him. So often we think of be still and know as a cup of coffee in the quiet with the perfect verse with the kids down and and everything silent for just a moment, the perfect Instagrammable quiet time with God. But another way to translate be still here, it's in the CSB version. They don't translate it be still and know that I'm God. They, They translate it stop fighting. Stop fighting and know that he is God. 
wrestling with him and with others can make us feel significant, but at the end of the day, it empties us. It empties us, it does not fulfill us like the words of Jesus can. It falls right in, right after verse 10, right after he says he will shatter the shield and he will shower the bow and he will burn the chariot. And so for some of us today, we need to hear God say, be still, stop fighting me. I'm good, I've got your back, I'm here, I haven't gone anywhere. Would you rest in me? Would you spend some time with me? Would you hear what I have to tell you? Instead of running around at this frantic pace, trying to claim the promises that God has already freely given to us. Let's not miss those and let's not live a life like Jacob did, wrestling with God when he wants to be our refuge. The reality is Jesus used those words, peace be still, be still and know that I'm God to calm a storm for the disciples. And they recognized that this Jesus was God, that these words echoed the same way. His promises are true. He wants what's best for us. And he tells us to stop fighting, be still and know that he is Yahweh, the true and living God. So as I close this time, uh, the band is gonna come back out and sing a song, but let's not miss a chance to respond to God this morning. For you, you may have been looking for your refuge everywhere that you could and have not found an infinite place to put it. You're empty, you need some strength, you need a help in your life. Maybe this morning is the time for you to turn and say, God, I want you to be my refuge and your strength. I believe that you sent your son because you love me, that he died a death that I couldn't, that he paid for my sin because he was perfect, but then he attributed to me righteousness that I can experience him forever. Maybe this morning that needs to happen. Maybe for some of you, you know that's true, but you've got a lot of voices going on in your head and you have missed and you have tuned out the voice of God and you're struggling to find that significance in your life, would you secure it to the words of Jesus again? Maybe right after I get done talking, we're gonna sing a beautiful song with some some promises about how God really loves you. And maybe you just need to take a moment to instead of stand and sing, to just sit in your seat and let that wash over you like a river of life to remember that, man, in this moment when God seems far, he really loves me. Don't miss an opportunity to spend time with the Lord this morning, this week, whatever it looks like. But let's not leave this place hearing these words of truth, having the refuge set right before us and miss it because God doesn't want us to miss it. In fact, he has given himself so that we can receive it. So wherever you are, whatever response looks like for you today, let's make sure that we do business with God because he has first loved us. He is a refuge and a strength and a very present help in troubled times. He is the God of hosts. He is the God of Jacob. Would you pray with me? And then afterwards you can stand and we'll sing. Father God, we thank you for your love and your goodness and your mercy. God, we're thankful that we can trust you. God, we're thankful that you aren't going anywhere, that you're here. Even when you seem far away, you're not. That you've chosen to be our refuge, that you've given us a place that we can go to when the storms of life seem way over our head. God, thank you that there is power in your words. Thank you that there's power in your presence. And most importantly, thank you that there is power in your son. God, in this moment, we we give you this space, God, to do what you need to do so that we can stop fighting and be still. We love you and we praise you for all that you've done, how you've been a refuge for so many in this room for so many years and how you will be again. We love you and we thank you and we're excited to worship you and sing of your goodness right now. It's in your name that we pray, amen.